Well, good morning. We are in the midst of a sermon series uh, called Alive and Well. We're talking about core relationships in our, in our lives and, and how they can be uh, flourishing. And this is the second sermon this morning, second sermon on parenting. And I just want to acknowledge as we begin that parenting is a, it's a painful, it's a painful topic for many people. It may be painful for you as you think about your own parents. It may be painful as you think about some aspect of your relationship with your kids, or perhaps uh, you wish you were a parent and for whatever reason have not been able uh, to be a parent. And so we just want to acknowledge that up front. And also this, this week, as we studied about parenting, couldn't help but think about the situation on our, our southern border and the, um, you know, kids being separated from their parents. And it's kind of been an amazing thing that's, that we've seen. We've seen a, a real unity among Christians from every different denomination and tradition have just uni- universally advocated for keeping families together. And our own denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, is no exception. And so I want to take just a minute and read a brief letter that was written by our president about this, this issue. His name is Kevin Compline. But he writes this. He says, Dear Evangelical Free Church of America family, My heart is troubled as I consider the challenging and complex issues facing our nation today. Seeing news reports of children separated from their parents at U.S. borders deeply touched me. I believe the heart of the Lord must be breaking as he sees immigrants caught in the middle of political posturing in America and children separated from their parents. As people of God and those who value both the rule of law, and the dignity of people, how do we respond? It is important for us to ground our thinking, words, and actions in the truth of the scriptures. My desire is to help our pastors and church leaders navigate these issues in ways that honor the Lord and reflect his word and heart. We must be wise in our response and point people to the scriptures, calling them to pray and live like Jesus. What follows is a pastoral word intended to inform and call the EFCA to pray. This is the unique privilege and responsibility of the church. Certainly, there is more that can be done, and there are varied responses to which God may lead some to respond. But fundamentally, remember this. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Thank you for reading and joining me in prayer, Kevin Compline, EFCA president. And so we believe that the church has a unique role. Honestly, we have a unique role to play when it comes to showing compassion to immigrants and others, even if we have, and we do have differences when it comes to differences of conviction, when it comes to borders and immigration policies. Nonetheless, we are, we are people of compassion. And so we would call you to pray. And as you pray, we would encourage you to listen to God. Is there something more that God might lead you to do? In the letter I read, there was a, a reference to some resources that were being provided. So if you get the e-blast on Tuesday, it'll be in your inbox. And we'll have a link to this letter I read and some other resources that might help you in your response. Uh, and so listen to God on this. But fundamentally, we would invite you to pray. And so would you pray with me now? 
Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, not because we're good, not because uh, we deserve anything. We come to you because we are yours, and you invite us to come into your presence, and you've made a way for us to come into your presence through Jesus Christ, and you hear our prayers, you hear our petitions, and for this we are thankful. And God, as we live in this world, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, honestly, it's, it's hard for most of us in this room to fathom traveling hundreds or thousands of miles with our families to escape violence and poverty, to enter a country that we've only heard about. But God, we pray that children and families uh, children and families involved would be treated with dignity and respect. We pray that children would be reunited with their parents, safe and sound. We pray for our political leaders that they would humble themselves, that they would work together and find solutions to the immigration crisis on our southern border. We pray that the body of Christ would indeed be the aroma of Christ in this world. We thank you for the churches and the organizations who are involved in reaching out to immigrants and helping them in tangible ways, legally, materially, and personally. Lead us as individuals, lead us as a church. We are yours and we serve at your pleasure. Lead us, O Lord. And God, teach us today what we need to know. Uh, we lay ourselves before you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a, a, a PSA. There's a public service announcement that you may have heard on the radio. It's, it's put out by the March of Dimes. And it's a pregnant woman who is talking about singing to her baby. And this is, this is what she says. She says, every time I feel a kick, I sing. I never sang before. I am not good at singing. I was actually booed off a karaoke stage once. That's all it took, but today I'm a singer. It's a lullaby mostly. It just came out one day. I didn't even know I knew any lullabies, but there I am singing in the store, in the laundry room, in the car. I don't even realize I'm doing it mostly, but I have a captive audience of one. And every day she gets a concert that comes from someplace that can only be my heart. She doesn't boo me. She never will. And I hear this, and if you're like me, you're thinking, she may boo you, actually. <laughs> uh, you may be voted mom of the year, but your baby may boo you. You can't really predict what she's going to be like when she gets older. You can't even predict what you're going to be like when you get older. Last week, Chris introduced a graphic that showed how our influence as parents changes from being positional influence to relational influence. And it's a little bit hard for you to see. It's a little bit, it's a little bit small. But basically, it, it points out that when our kids are young, our position as a mom or as a dad means that we have, it's like a totalitarian state, really. We determine what they do, where they go, who they know, what they wear, what they eat, all these things. As they get older, it's less unilaterally telling them what to do, and it's persuading them largely through our relationship to make wise decisions and to, to adopt a lifestyle that's honoring to God and that's, that's healthy. And last week, Chris made a statement that I absolutely agree with. He said, how you parent when you have positional influence 
has a direct correlation with how much relational influence you have when your children are older. And that statement really reflects the, the experience of Brenda and me in, in our parenting. Last week, Chris spoke from the, the perspective of someone who had uh, young kids, age six and younger. Uh, this morning, I, I teach from a perspective of someone who has older kids. We have two married daughters, age 29 and 26, and we have a son who is 23 years old. And it seems to me that the question we need to ask in this regard is this, how do I become the type of person who will likely have relational influence in every stage of my kids' lives? In other words, how do I become the type of person who it's, it, uh, the type of person for whom it's likely that our kids will want to have a relationship with me, will want me to influence them at every stage of their lives. And that question just, just acknowledges this reality that one day your kids will have a choice. One day your kids will choose. Am I going to let mom and dad influence my life? Am I going to go with them to them, with, uh, to them for advice? Am I going to let them influence my kids? And so that's, a, that's a, huge, a huge issue. And so how do I become the type of person who will likely have relational influence in the lives of my kids at every stage of their lives in the future? Well, I think the most fundamentally, fundamental answer to that question, and you're not going to be surprised at this because this is a church and I'm a pastor, but I think the best thing you can do as a parent is walk with Jesus Christ. I mean, really walk with Jesus Christ. I'm not just talking about go to church. I'm not just talking about go to Bible studies. I'm talking about let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Abide in Christ. Let his word abide in you. If you walk with Jesus Christ, you will actually be the type of person who is helpful to his or her kids. You will be the type of person that can change. And if you don't know it yet, you have to change as your kids go through different, different stages of their lives. Nothing else will do this for you except walking with Jesus Christ. Many scriptures support this idea uh, that, that you become a person with relational influence by walking with Christ. One scripture is Galatians 5. This is a passage where Paul contrasts living by the flesh with living by the Spirit. And the two are incompatible with one another. Paul actually says they're opposed to each other. You can't do both at the same time. But this is what we read in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And in the book of Galatians, if you're living under the law, you are enslaved to the flesh, that part of you that is in rebellion against God. That's just a reality. But if you walk by the Spirit, you experience this freedom, not freedom to do whatever you want, but freedom to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. In verses 19 through 21, Paul gives a catalog of the actions and outcomes that characterize those who are dominated by the flesh. And as I read this list, think about the fallout in the lives of kids if their parents 
are like this, okay? If parents are dominated by the deeds of the flesh, what's the fallout in the lives of their kids? Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Parents, when parents are dominated by the deeds of the flesh, their kids experience chaos and turmoil. If parents are dominated by the deeds of the flesh, their kids experience chaos and turmoil as opposed to peace and stability. It's observable. It's, it's, it's beyond debate. What about parents who are led by the Spirit? Well, consider the blessing of having these qualities evidence in the lives of parents. What will this do in the lives of their kids? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What a gift to a kid, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is, is no law. If you've been a faith very long, you've heard me say this dozens of times in different contexts, but this is the profile of a good mom. This is the profile of a good dad. This is the profile of a person whose kids will likely want to have a relationship with them as adults, whether the kids are following Christ or not. Seriously, joy and patience are in such short supply that when kids see that in the lives of their parents, they're drawn to it. They just are. It's life-giving. It's healthy. And so if you walk with Christ, your life will likely, again, no guarantees. And so if you're, if you're estranged from your kids, I'm not saying you're not walking with Christ, okay? I know life happens. I know, I know this is not an ironclad guarantee. But if you walk with Christ, your life will likely be winsome and inviting to your kids. Very likely, you will be a safe person for your kids, as well, if you're led by the Spirit, your life will be dynamic enough so that you can change, so that you can become the type of person you need when your kids are teenagers or when your kids are adults, when your kids have kids. And so again, I'm talking about parents who actually abide in Christ and let Christ's word abide in them. I'm talking about parents who have patience and self-control even when their kids misbehave. Parents who have joy even when life is tough. And so that's the core idea. The best thing you can do as a parent is walk with Jesus Christ. You'll be the type of person with whom your, your, your kids want to have a, a relationship. You can influence them through that relationship. But I want to, want to talk about three core perspectives, how we apply this, habits that will help us walk with Jesus in the context of parenting. And the first is this, and we have these on your, your bulletin. We've got a sermon outline there if you want to follow there. But continue growing through every stage of your kid's life. You never get to the place where you say, parenting, 
I got that down. I, I know all about that. We never, we never quit growing. We need different skills, different aptitudes at different stages of our kids' lives. Another way to say it is we have to remain teachable throughout our lives. Till the day we die, we need to remain teachable when it, when it comes to parenting our kids. Paul's advice to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, is very relevant for parents. And so Timothy was a, a pastor. He was a shepherd. He was a teacher in Ephesus. It's basically what parents are. Parents shepherd. They, they teach their kids. And Paul stressed that Timothy needed to remain teachable. He needed to continue to grow. This is 1 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance by the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. And so this was supposed to be observable in Timothy's life. People were supposed to look at Timothy and say, that guy He's different. He's making progress. We see maturity in his life, especially when it comes to, to use the use of his spiritual gifts, which in his case was teaching. And so as the years went by, Timothy was supposed to become more skillful, more effective as someone who influenced others for Christ. And notice how Timothy was to take responsibility. He was supposed to be very intentional about this growth. Paul said, take pains with these things or practice these things. He said, be absorbed in them. In other words, be in them. If Timothy became, com became complacent or passive, he would not make that progress. And something similar is true for parents. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. That's genius. That is absolutely genius. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. In other words, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you. You will experience your salvation more fully. Those under your charge, they will experience their salvation more fully as well. And so as a teacher, Timothy need to pay attention to himself and to his teaching. My experience and, and my observation is it's quite a bit easier to pay attention to your teaching than it is to yourself. Push comes to shove, I'm always going to pay attention to my teaching. There's this accountability. People are going to know if I'm just making things up or if I've studied the word, if I'm prepared. But myself, that can be put on hold indefinitely. I'll get to myself later. I will get to the issues that are holding me back later. I'll pay attention to my teaching. But that's just an excuse. Yourself and your teaching cannot be separated. We teach from the heart. We teach out of who we actually are. What we teach and how we teach flows from who we are. And these same dynamics come into play when it comes to parenting. Our progress as parents should be evident to all. In other words, when, you're, when you have teenage kids, you should have made tons of progress from way, the way you were when your kids were toddlers. When you got grown kids, again, your progress should be evident to all. 
As Paul urged Timothy, we need to take pains with these things. We need to be absorbed in these things. We need to pay attention to ourselves and our teaching. And so again, it's what we teach and who we are. So what we teach obviously matters. If you read the book of Proverbs, it's largely, it's largely written from the perspective of a dad to his son who's about to go off on his own in the world. And so over and over and over, he says, pay close attention. Remember what your mom and your dad have taught you. And then he reminds him what he taught about friendships, about sexuality, about money, food and drink, speech, marriage, justice, the poor, honesty, contentment, etc. And so as parents, we're called to teach our kids in a very comprehensive sense. It's not just a few religious topics. No, we're, we're to teach them in a very comprehensive sense. And so what we teach our kids matter. And I find that most Christian parents pay attention to what they, they teach their kids. I mean, we have this basic morality. It, it's not all that complicated. But I also find that many Christian parents don't pay very close attention to themselves. And what often happens is that our lives nullify our words. Because as you know, who we are speaks more loudly than what we say. And so abiding in Christ, letting his words abide in you, that is not optional. It's absolutely essential for parents who want their children to be formed in Christ. It's just not a live option unless we're abiding in Christ and his word abides in us. And so we have to keep growing through every phase of our kids' lives. When I think back on my experience, when our kids were young, I don't think I appreciated it at all how much I would need to grow, how much I would need to change in my, in my, at every stage of parenting. So when our kids were little, I never realized that it would be a 24-7 boot camp in selflessness. Honestly, I, I was a pretty angry, impatient, I was that guy when our kids were, were little. And I had very little. Brenda was amazing. She's just the most patient, tolerant person I know. But I can just remember handing the child, here, take this child. I can't deal with it anymore. I didn't really like our kids until they were about four or five years old. <laughs> and I just, I just was not the type of person who was patient with their kids. Fast forward about 25 years. And... Uh, when our girls got married, I did not anticipate how I would need to change as a dad now that they had husbands. And uh, on one occasion, I just, and this is just Steve being Steve, which is not always a good idea, but on one occasion, I just deeply offended one of my son-in-laws. And it caused a, it caused a rupture in our relationship. And it required time, it required conversations, it required repentance on my part and his part to restore what was lost. But I have to say, it, honestly, in my relationship with him and our daughter, it's stronger than it ever, ever was before. And so it's worth it. But I had to stay engaged. I had to stay in the process. I had to continue to learn even when my kids are in their mid-20s. And so we never quit learning. The second 
Second thing I would, I would say is, and I stole this directly from Eugene Peterson, approach parenting more like an apprenticeship than a lecture. Uh, Peterson wrote this little book called Like Do Your Youth, D-E-W, and that's, that's a phrase that comes from one translation of Psalm 110.3. And in that translation, youth is likened to dew on the grass. And the idea is that just like if you wait long enough, the dew will be gone. If you wait long enough, your kids will no longer be young. And the point is, you're not supposed to wait it out. You're not supposed to just uh, grit your teeth and make it through this phase of their life. No, it's a new opportunity for you to grow up with your kids. And Peterson's observation is that many Christian parents have stopped growing. The parents are not growing anymore. Instead, they settle for presiding over their kids' growth. And so parenting becomes one long lecture where parents are saying, you should do this, you should do this. I'm not doing it, but you should do this, you should do this. This is how you should live every area of your life. He says, how much better, how much more inviting if you're still growing and you let your kids look over your shoulder and see how you're walking with God, seeing how you're living your life. That is almost always fascinating. And this is the pattern we see in the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he was able to write this to the church at Corinth. How many parents would write this to their kids? Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. And so because Paul had a life, because Paul imitated Christ, he had a life worth imitating. And because Paul lived a transparent life, they could imitate him. They had this, this tangible example. He showed them how to handle insults, opposition. He showed them how to work hard. He demonstrated this is what it looks like when, when you are experiencing incredible weakness. This is how you prove that God's grace is sufficient. Or consider what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3. He was able to point back to things that Timothy had heard and seen in his life. And so again, it wasn't just, I told you this. I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. He said, no, you've seen this in me. In 2 Timothy 3.10, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. We know Timothy was there with him. He had seen Paul in these situations. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. So in 2 Timothy 2, when Paul wrote Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, Timothy knew exactly what Paul was talking about. He had seen Paul suffer hardship. Because it had been this apprenticeship, Timothy intuitively understood what Paul was saying. He had been apprenticed to Paul in the ways of Christ. Real life is almost always interesting. Often, it's often insightful. So here's some ideas for parents, and this will look different at different stage of your kid's life. So the next time you have a financial need, Instead of hiding it from the kids, what about gathering them around and just laying it out? This is what we're dealing with. We need God's wisdom. We need God's provision. 
How about letting them pray with you and pray for you? How about them letting you, how about you letting them see how God is faithful? I love what Tracy shared earlier. What, a, what an amazing thing to, to let your kids in on. Or another example, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So the next time you identify an enemy, or maybe just somebody that annoys you in your workplace, in the church, in your neighborhood, what about giving your kids an insider's view on loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you? Uh, what about letting them see how hard it is to resist retaliation? How about letting them hear you pray, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so, do your kids see how you're handling issues as a follower of Christ? I find that the older I get, and the older my kids get, actually, the more freedom I have to share my life with them. And understand, I, I am all for family devotions. I advocate it. We, we tried it quite a bit, but I have to admit that my kids normally glazed over when I tried to teach them the Bible. I mean, they were wholly unimpressed with all my pastor-teacher skills. <laughs> but when I told them about real-life situations, and I told them, and, and you provide a lot of great material, actually. <laughs> and uh, when, I, when I told them about stuff, I mean, they were just typically locked in. I mean, just fascinated. That's real life. They get it. And so, again, thinking about it more as an apprenticeship than a lecture. The last point is really an encouragement not to be paralyzed by past failures in parenting. Every parent has regrets. We all think back to our mistakes, and, and we almost all find ourselves wondering, well, if I were a different person back then, if I were more equipped, if I was more skillful, then maybe my kids wouldn't be experiencing this, this, and this. But I, I would just encourage you to think about your parenting the way we do every other area of the Christian life. Here's a catch-all statement. Learn from the past, practice repentance, and continue investing in your children. If you have them, your grandchildren. If you don't have either, somebody else's children. And so learn from the past. Don't waste your mistakes. Don't waste your sins. Learn from them. So if you've been passive in your parenting, you really haven't engaged your kids, find somebody who has and let them teach you. Let them give you some ideas. Here's some suggestions on how you can do this. Or if you've been a harsh, demanding mom or dad, go to the scriptures. Learn how to speak gracious words. God can teach you. He would love to teach you that. It's never too late. So learn from the past, then practice repentance. Apologize first to God. God, I'm sorry. I want to do different. Apologize to your kids. There are a lot of parents at faith who have apologized to their adult kids for things that happened in their childhood. And typically it's not something the parents intended to do, but they were blind to some need that their child had, or they were blind to their own anger. Or, or whatever. And kids of all ages, it's so inviting when their parents just come to them and they say, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? They almost always do. It's so inviting. And then, you know, by God's grace, treat them differently. 
And then continue investing in your children and in others. And so my, my encouragement is what Paul told to Timothy. He said, persevere in these things. Don't give up. Your kids still need you no matter how old they are. You know how I know that? Because uh, my parenting hero is my 87-year-old mom. She prays for me every day. She emails me often. She emailed me some parenting advice yesterday. <laughs> You know it. She said, she said, you've heard this expression, but this, I wrote it down here. She said, but the two best gifts you can give your kids are roots and wings. We were talking about Riley. And she said, I feel like you've done that with your kids. My mom thinks I did a good job <laughs> as a parenting. That's so healing for me. She's 87 years old. You're, you're never, it's never too late to keep investing in your kids. If you don't have kids, or if you're not close to your kids right now, again, invest in somebody else's kids. I've often thought that we practice on our own kids and we give somebody else's kids our best stuff. And that is, that is absolute. I can tell other people's kids, I can tell some of your kids things that my kids wouldn't hear when they were 15 years old or when they were 22 years old. But we've got this voice. We've, we've got this opportunity in the body of Christ. We need many brothers and sisters, many mothers and fathers in Christ. And so if you are walking with Jesus, God can use you in profound ways in the lives of upcoming generations. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that we would be a community of people that invest deeply in our kids, our grandkids, and others, kids and grandkids. <clears throat> and God, I pray for the person, the people here today who are experiencing shame and regret over their parenting. God, would you wash that away? I pray, God, that you would give them hope, that you would give them the faith to keep trusting you, keep walking with you. We pray, God, that you would, would give us the grace to uh, really shepherd our kids well and to really build into them. God, this is by your grace. We want to actually be the aroma of Christ to, to our kids. And so we ask that you would transform us as we seek you. Give us wisdom. Give us encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.